if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. The flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. This is God's word. So last week, like I mentioned, we started off in the book of James, and we're calling this series Faith in the Flesh, um, meaning what does it look like when our faith is lived out in the everyday stuff of life? And when I say that word faith, I'm talking about this unwavering devotion, unwavering commitment to God. What does that look like? lived out in the everyday. And so we said that James, what he's trying to do in this book is to show us that living out our faith is much more than just saying, I'm a Christian. There has to be more than just proclamation. There actually has to be a demonstration that your faith is really genuine and real. And so we said that another way that we could say that is that James is not only concerned that Faith is found root in our hearts, but that faith is bearing fruit in our lives and in our deeds. And so uh, James began to just unpack this for us last week, where he said that we are all going to find in our lives that we, our faith, is going to be tested by trials of life, right? And so we said there's three things that were true about this. Number one, trials are inevitable, they are going to happen to all of us. It's not if trials will happen, it's when. So you're, uh, you've, you're either in a trial, you've come out of a trial, or you're getting ready to step into a trial, okay? So trials are inevitable. We also said, number two, trials are various, so that they change. They're, sometimes they're like, hey, just a little bit of an annoyance to something that just crushes you. Trials take all different types of shapes, intensity, they're various. The last thing we said about trials is that they have a purpose, they're purposeful. Um, God is not, you know, some sort of mad scientist trying to destroy his subjects by crushing their faith, right? He, he's more kind of like a, uh, an expert trainer, right, who knows the right uh, stretches that we need, the right diet we need to be taking, the right schedule we need to get into, so that he stretches and builds our faith so that it becomes, as James tells us, steadfast. And we gave a definition for that, that steadfastness is this strong endurance to endure and to stand up to the trials of life. And steadfastness, though, also has a purpose. Steadfastness in our life is 
needs to work out. We need to allow God to work steadfastness through these trials in our life so that we become whole and perfect in the Christian character that God has for us. And so we summarized it this way. James says that wholeness occurs when the whole of our life is wholly centered in Jesus. That wholeness occurs when the whole, W-H-O-L-E, when the whole of our lives is wholly centered in Jesus. And that is gonna be the theme, that's the big idea that's gonna take us all throughout James. What does it mean for us to become whole and complete people? And so in light of that theme, we jump into today, to today's text where James says that to become whole and to become complete, you need to be a person of wisdom and you need to be a person of prayer. And that's where we're kind of starting off this morning. So let me ask you a couple questions. Have you ever asked yourself, why don't I have joy? Anybody? You've ever asked that before? Or is that just me? Yeah, okay. Have you ever asked yourself like, why does it feel like I'm always making the same mistake over and over and over and over again? And don't be nudging your spouse, okay? There's these questions we probably ask often. It's like, why don't I seem to have enough wisdom? Why do I get myself into situations like that? Why did it happen this way? I know better, okay? Wrap it up in any sort of package that you want. When trials come, especially when trials come, we often find ourselves discouraged. We find ourselves beside ourselves, wondering how do we get into this mess often, all right? Well, James has an answer for us this morning that when trials come, whether you've got yourself into that or just kind of fell into it or what happened, James says the reason that we start to struggle and fall apart is that we lack wisdom. And he assumes as he goes into verse five here that these Christians, remember these are Christians that have been scattered and they're all over, the, uh, all over northern Palestine, Israel because of persecution. He assumes rightly so, that they probably lack wisdom in their persecution and trials, as we all do. And so James says, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach. So James is saying, if you lack wisdom, this is what you do. You ask God for it, right? So before we talk that through a little bit, I just want to kind of give an idea uh, to you of, of what really wisdom is because the world has a view of wisdom and then the Bible also has a, a similar view but, but very different. And so the worldly way that we can maybe define wisdom would be something like this, sound judgment, making good decisions based on experience. It could be intelligence, or knowledge, right? Those are accurate definitions of wisdom. And the Bible talks about that as well, that, that we, we see those types of definitions carried out within characters of God's story. But the definition for wisdom that James is talking about here goes actually a little bit deeper than that. In fact, James, this entire book is going to be about how is wisdom lived out in our lives and the everyday stuff of life. And so this is, I think, a good way of how we can define what James thinks of as wisdom throughout his letter. It's a God-given ability 
to discern and then to practice God's will in all of life. Okay, a God-given discernment, this ability to discern and then to practice God's will in everything you do. Another way that we could say it is looking, or looking at life with God's perspective. That's wisdom. Okay, that's kind of what we're thinking about. So uh, James is saying if you lack that in your life, you need to ask God for it. Okay, that's the type of wisdom. So there's two things I think that James is doing here that we need to understand about wisdom. Number one, when hard times come in our life, it's essential that we respond with this type of wisdom. It's essential. This type of wisdom doesn't come naturally in our lives. It doesn't for me. And I think it's probably true if you're honest with yourself, it doesn't come naturally for you as well. This type of wisdom has to come from God. It comes from God, he's the source. The writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 2, 6, that the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. God is the one that gives wisdom. Not only does he give it, he's the source of it. The entire creation was created, right kids? Because God spoke it into existence. That's some amazing wisdom, right? To be able to speak things into existence. That's what God does. God is the one that gives wisdom. So that's the first thing we need to know. Number two, how do we get it? Well, James has already told us, right? We pray. We pray for it. And sometimes it's just this. Maybe you, you've experienced this before in a trial and you're like, God, it's that 10 second prayer, right? God, I am in trouble. I need wisdom. And not only do I need wisdom, I need you to increase my faith so I believe that you're gonna work it out, right? Sometimes that is the only type of prayer we can get out. And that's okay. And God wants us to ask him for that. So when we face trials, hard times in our lives, we need God's wisdom. The other thing that we also need is that we need to not only respond with his wisdom, we need to respond with the kind of faith that God requires. So when hard times come in our life, if we lack wisdom, man, that totally overwhelms us, doesn't it? But if you lack faith, if you lack faith, it can crush you. And so James is saying, when hard times come, we need to have this faith to keep us going. And he's not talking about a saving faith. He's not talking about what we, we quoted this morning, Romans 10, 9, right? Uh, if we um, confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. That is saving faith. That is that belief and that, that confession that says, Jesus, I believe you. You are my king. You are my savior. I'm following you. That's super important. That gets us into the family of God. And James is saying, you need a faith that once you're in the family of God, keeps you going in the family of God. This faith that keeps you sustaining when hard times come. That's the type of faith he's talking about. A faith that says, hey, when hard times come, I don't give up on God. 
When hard times come, I'm going to trust him, even though everything about this trial makes absolutely no sense in my life. I'm gonna align my will. I'm gonna align my thoughts. I'm gonna trust you, God. I wanna be wholeheartedly devoted to you. That's the sustaining faith that James is talking about here, okay? That's the faith we need. And in the context of our trials, in the context of our trials, the faith that we need is this abandonment to God, total trust in God, in his character, and totally trusting God's promises. And here's the thing, faith that James is talking about here is absolute confidence in God's promises even when the circumstances in your life seem to contradict those promises. Have you ever experienced a trial in your life that seems to contradict God's promises? We uh, had, uh, when we were in California a couple weeks ago, Chris and Bethany and Tanya and I, uh, one of the pastors in the Soma family of churches, he's back east, um, a young guy, uh, I think four or five kids, I think five kids, uh, his wife passed away from brain cancer a year ago. And I've heard him speak twice. And he gets up in front of all of the pastors and he just shares what his life is like now without his wife. But at the same time as you hear the, the struggle and you hear the pain, you hear this brother say, I will trust God. I don't understand why. I begged for him not to take my wife. But I will trust him. I have nowhere else to go. That is a sustaining faith. That's a sustaining faith. That's what James is talking about here. This is how we get through. And so when we bank on the promises of God, even when circumstances around us seem to contradict those promises, then we are demonstrating this type of sustaining faith. And what are the types of promises that we bank on when trials come? I wanna... Uh, read this to you. I think we have a slide of it, though. I want you to see it. This is from the writer of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and, and just to give you some context here, the writer of the Hebrews had just got done in chapter 11 explaining what is known as the hall of faith, these men and women who had stood with sustaining faith for Jesus. And these were the saints of old who were faithful to the very end. And so the writer of Hebrews is, remember, you are surrounded by all these men and women who stood before you, firm, believing in God. Remember them. You are surrounded by these men and women. So because of this, let us also lay aside every weight, everything that's hindering us, everything that's keeping us from following God. Lay it also aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, 
and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. That is a verse I memorized several years ago when I first started having these nerve problems in my body because I didn't understand it. And I can't sit here today and tell you that I still am understanding it. But what I do understand is that sustaining faith requires that we need to bank on God's promises for us in Christ. When trials come, what do you do? You know, there's the, the, the you, all you have to do now is just is, is look at the newspaper, read uh, uh, or listen to NPR or whatever it is, and what do people do when they reach or when they hit trials? They reach for the next opioid. Or the trial comes, they find a different spouse. Or they look for that answer to whatever trial it is that's gonna satisfy them in a different job or in more money. Fill it in. Where are you looking when trials come? And the writer of Hebrews says, we need to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We trust that he's perfecting our faith and making us whole and complete. Even when you don't understand what is going on in your life right now. Do you trust that Jesus is perfecting you through that trial, making you steadfast, making you whole and complete? The writer of the Hebrews writes in chapter four, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted. And that word tempted there is actually trial that we have in uh, the first couple verses of James that we looked at last year, or last week. But we have one who's been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace, check this, with, say it with me, confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Is that not amazing? That the God says, hey, look, that the God that created us says, I know what you're enduring. I mean, Jesus says, I endured more than you can even imagine for your sake so that you might live. And I am committed to perfecting your faith. Trust me. And not only trust me, you can come to me anytime you need to. And you can come with confidence that I'm going to listen to you. My arms are open. That's why James can say, if any of us lacks wisdom, ask God. You're not left on your own. You're not trying to figure this out by yourself. That's good news. And what happens if we ask? Look what James says. Verse five again, if any of you lacks, lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously. The Greek literally is 
Let him ask the giving God. He is the God, as Hebrews tells us. When we approach his throne of grace, he will give us mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. And as James says, he will give us wisdom. All we have to do is ask, which leads me to a question. Do you ask? Do you come to the Father and ask that he'd give you wisdom to deal with your trials? If we know this is true about Jesus, we know that we can come to him, we know that he will give us what we are asking, these wisdom for trials, then we are to ask him, but we are supposed to ask, says verse verse six, with no doubting. But let him ask in faith, verse six, with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. See, the opposite of faith is doubt. And James says that doubting is like, a, like you are tossed back and forth of uh, like a wave on the sea. And the same word that James used here uh, for wave is the same word that is for wave when we look at uh, the story of Jesus in Luke on the Sea of Galilee with his disciples. And this story, and kids, you might remember this. Jesus is with his disciples in the boat. The storm is going crazy. Disciples are freaking out. They're screaming like little girls. Nothing wrong with that. I would be doing it too. And Jesus, what is he doing? He's sleeping. And they're freaking out and they're waking up. Jesus is like, we're going to perish. And one, uh, one version of the story, they, they say, Jesus, don't you care? You ever ask that? Jesus, don't you care? Got this trial going on in my life. Where are you at? Do you care? Disciples shaking Jesus from his sleep. He wakes up. He looks at the sea. Peace, be still. And the waves die down. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and he looks at them and he says, Where's your faith? Where's your faith? See, James says that this type of doubt is a deep-seated doubt, and he describes it as being double-minded. Literally, it means double-souled. It means that you have this uh, spiritual schizophrenia, this divided loyalty, That means you want what God wants, but you want more what you want. That's what James is talking about here. That the double-minded person wants their way as well as God's way, but more they want their way. And so then they ask God, but they really don't believe that God knows what he's doing. This is the double-minded man that James is talking about. Um, when I was in uh, youth ministry 
years ago. Um, we always used to tell this story to the students because uh, it was, a, number one, it was funny. They liked it. Uh, probably won't be as funny as I tell it now. Uh, but the second thing about it is it had a good point. So I'm going to tell it anyway. Um, but there was this... Uh, these farmers and uh, ranchers in Asia often, um, they're having to battle all these monkeys that are constantly coming in, stealing all their crops, bananas, etc. And so they came up with this way of how they could trap these monkeys. And then, so what they would do is they would get this long, uh, narrow-necked gourd and they would cut off the top of it. And there would just be just a small enough hole in the top of the gourd for a monkey to stick his hand into it. And so what farmers would do is that they would put um, some nuts or some sort of sweets, usually rice, they would put inside of this gourd. And then they'd wait for these monkeys to come along. And these monkeys would come along and they'd see that there was some nuts or there was some rice inside of the gourd. And the monkey would stick their hand inside of the gourd and they'd grab onto the rice and then they tried to pull their hand out. And they couldn't do it. And they would get stuck. And the hole was big enough if they would just let go of the rice and take their hand out, they'd be free. But they wanted that rice so badly they weren't going to let go of it. And so they kept trying to get their arm out and they were stuck and they'd stay there until a farmer would come and capture them. And James is saying, we're like the monkey if you're the double-minded person. Our will is inside that gourd and the double-minded person says, God, I want what you want, but I am not letting go of the rice. And I wonder if we think that way or if the double-minded person, I should say, thinks that way because somehow they believe that God just really isn't that good. That God is cruel or that God can't control things as well as I can. And perhaps uh, you've projected onto God the cruelty that you've seen in the world, maybe even in the mirror. And you're like, that's who God is. But the more you get to know who Jesus is and what he's like, the more you get to know the good news, which is the gospel of Jesus, you realize that Jesus is totally worth dropping the rice for. And there's some of you in here, I'm willing to bet, you need to drop the rice. You need to let it go. Your control. Let God have it. Your finances, drop it. Your ex-relationships that still bring you pain, drop it. Your control over your kids, let God have them. Drop the rice. Don't be double-minded in your thinking. Can I be honest though? We're gonna doubt. We are broken, fallible people. You wanna wonder what doubt is like? You read the Psalms and you see the psalmist all the time going, God, where are you? 
You promised God that you were going to show up. Where are you? We've been waiting. You're not here. And then what does the psalmist do? They don't just stop, drop their pen, go, well, I'm done. I'm done with you, God. They go, God, I don't understand. There is doubt. I don't know how you're gonna keep your promises to me, but this is what I know is true about you. This is what's true about your character. This is what you've said. This is how you've showed up in the past. I'm gonna, I'm gonna doubt forward. I'm gonna doubt forward. And I don't understand it. I don't know, but I love you, God. And I have nowhere else to go. I believe, help me with my unbelief. James is talking about that double-minded person who says, I refuse to let go of my prerogatives. I refuse to let go of my plans and really truly trust you. That's who James is talking about. And here's the great thing again, the more we know about Jesus and what he's like, we start to realize that the beauty of Jesus starts to allay and destroy our doubts. But are we trusting him? Are we moving forward saying, God, I need faith, help me to believe, help me to believe. Becoming whole and complete takes wisdom in prayer. And just because, if I didn't say it clearly at the very beginning, this type of sustaining faith, that type of desire to pray, that doesn't come from you. You don't just one day wake up and go, I'm tired of living this way, I'm gonna pull myself up on my bootstraps, I'm gonna start living in faith, sustaining faith, it's mine for the taking. God is the one that gives it. And he will give it if you ask. He's the generous God. He's the generous God. So wisdom and faith, both required. And it's required um, for all types of people. What James does here is he does this contrast between the poor and the rich. And all throughout James's letter, he's gonna be contrasting the rich and the poor. This was a big deal. Uh, we don't identify with it as much as James readers would have because the majority of those Christians who are being persecuted really were poor. But there's something about that that we need to embrace and understand and live out. And it doesn't get into it so much today, but it will. And we'll hit that, but he just kind of gives us just a little foretaste of where he's going. But basically what he is saying is that rich and poor alike both need wisdom. They both have to have wisdom. For the poor person who continues to endure having a lack of wealth and a lack of material things. They have nothing. All they have is God. And so they hold on to God and they cling on to God. And James says, let the lowly brother, another way you could say that is the poor brother, let the poor brother and sister boast in their exaltation. Well, why are they exalted? And I don't know for sure, but I have this feeling that James, 
being Jesus's brother, probably remembers Jesus saying something like this in Luke 18. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. See, the poor had nowhere else to go. And so they reached out from Jesus. Jesus was always after them. They were on his heart because they embraced him. And so James is saying, the poor, you need to understand that when all the world is against you, they look down upon you, you are exalted. This takes wisdom to hold on to that and believe it and identify with that. Your exaltation is in Christ. Um, The apostle Paul in Ephesians This came after James would have wrote his letter, but I think it's still appropriate. Paul writes in Ephesians 2 that God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's exaltation. That's exaltation. And then James says, Hey, the rich boast in your humiliation. There's a sense of irony here that James is saying, look, you think that you're exalted with all of your riches? Guess what? You've got nothing. It's gonna pass. It's going to fade away just like the grass. So boast that you have nothing but Jesus. Don't be finding your satisfaction in wealth. Find it in Christ. Turn to Christ. I think James probably was thinking of Isaiah when he was writing this. Isaiah 47 and 8, an Old Testament prophet said that the grass withers and the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are like grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Wealth won't stand forever. Your kids won't stand forever. Your relationships. God and God alone. And so when we learn to trust God, walking in sustaining faith, trusting his word to help us endure trials, we are showing we love him And if we endure, look what James says in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. The word blessed can mean genuinely happy. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he's speaking on the Beatitudes in the Sermon of the Mount. Blessed are the peacekeepers, blessed are the poor in spirit. It can mean genuinely happy, but there's also another word that it could mean. And the word is fulfillment or fulfilled. And it's possible that James says, fulfilled is the person who remains steadfast in her trial. Another way of of translating that is be whole. Steadfast in our trial, you are fulfilled in Christ. You are whole in Christ when you endure that. 
That's a temporal blessing, it's now. You can have blessing now. You can have fulfillment in your life now, even in the trials. But the best is still yet to come. Because that's what James says. Is that the ultimate blessing is having the crown of life which basically means eternal life forever, perfect life in the presence of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus himself in Revelation 2.10 says the same language when he's talking to the church of Smyrna who's suffering. He says, be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. So the question for us, will we be faithful even when the hard times come. Do you lack wisdom? Ask God for it. Do you trust God with every part of your life? This is what God requires. This is what he desires. This is what he's committed to doing for us if we would come to him and trust him. Wholeness occurs when the whole of our life is wholly centered in Jesus alone. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. The one who will embrace you if you would just come. He is a good, good king. Let's pray. Father, we need wisdom. We need, on top of that, mercy and grace we need forgiveness, we need faith, we need motivation, we need power, and it is from you. And God, those who would come and ask in the name of Jesus, they will receive that from your hand, God, because you want to make us more and more like Christ. And so God, this morning I'm asking for anyone who might be finding themselves that double-minded person this morning, that they would turn to you, they'd let go of the rice. They would trust you, Jesus, that you can not only save, but you are saving and you will save eternally. God, would you do your work? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.